1: Hey guys, welcome to the Hero Academy podcast—the place where you can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes. People such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are all heroes without capes. I don't care about politics; only positivity and purpose. I only care about those that have chosen to serve our society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here, you'll learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their purpose. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing, things that you could do to make some extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast, each week you'll learn from people like you that work working full-time but still found the time to create a course, grow a big team, create a coaching program, a large audience, or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories, and how they overcame their burnout that they were facing. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques, carpe diem, now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. I'm your host and coach, Super Dave. Let's go. I just want to apologize to everyone. My voice is a little hoarse because I've been a little under the weather. My guest today, Chris Hoyer, going through the same thing. (laughs) Oh, man. Hey, brother, it's it's really good to have you on the show. Um, for those people that don't know you, you are an author of When That Day Comes, which is one of the best police books out there. Uh, what is the gist of the
0: book? Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Thanks. It was uh, just basically my my career with my old agency, you know, my 20 years and 64 days. Um, and stuff that I never would have imagined that I would have ever seen or experienced. And I, I just felt an obligation to share my story. So,
1: Without giving away the book, can you uh, tell us about you and about your career?
0: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> first generation law enforcement. Um, got picked up in 97, retired in uh, 2018. Is that right? Yeah. So um, had a series of major critical incidents during that time. And uh you know, on the, the the good part was it was it was a lot of fun until my 18th year and then it wasn't. Um during that time, um up until 2016, you know, two years before I retired, my hair was on fire, I was having a ball, got on a specialty squad, just couldn't couldn't slow down, you know, just I'm like, you guys are paying me to do this? Even after 18 years, I was having a blast. So it was it was fantastic. I had a good time. So <clears throat> what state were you in? Arizona.
1: Arizona and your agency, uh, was it a sm- on the smaller side or on the bigger side?
0: It was a big one. Yeah, we had uh, we we're about four thousand strong when I got on. So,
1: whoa, yeah, that's uh, that's that's top ten in terms of largest agencies in the
0: in the nation. I think they're about four hundred now, but I don't know. If about- <laughs> yeah.
1: That's happening everywhere though, across the country. A lot of people are having trouble recruiting. Uh, it's starting to come back around where um people are starting to realize hey, it's not such a terrible
0: job. But yeah. uh they definitely took a PR hit for a few years. I agree, I agree. That's a shame too, because it's one of the most honorable things I can imagine doing, you know. And uh, the fact that they took me on board and there's a few people that took a chance on me and I'm glad they did because you know, that ended up being the best choice I ever could have made. So
1: what was your most favorite unit that you worked in?
0: I got uh, <clears throat> about a year on. I know it sounds really bad to say it this way. Um, I hated responding to domestic violence calls. Even more than that, I hated re- doing reconstruction on accidents because I never learned how to do the accidents. And the DV calls, as you well know, they unfortunately very rarely go anywhere. You know. Yep. Um, so about a year on, I was already kind of not burned out, but I discovered this this squad called the Neighborhood Enforcement Team. I'm like, that sounds like someplace I want to go. And um, at the time, I was the youngest guy to ever get picked up by that unit with four years on and never left, pretty much. Um, And it was... Proactive, like half undercover, half patrol, half plain clothes, half catch-all squad. You know, we did everything. It was fantastic. So
1: that sounds like fun. Um, it took me six years to get into they called it the community-oriented police enforcement. So it the acronym was COPE. And uh it took me six years to get into that unit. I got into it from from the work in the midnights, and uh everyone said you couldn't move anywhere from working the midnights because the midnights were slugs. But my squad was all a bunch of young guys and we were all ripping and roaring and having a good time. It was it was who could go out and make the first collar.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was great. Fantastic man that's what I'm it about. was
1: so much, so much fun working the mids. We'd hop in the car and then we'd shoot out to this uh drug-infested area and we'd just see what we could scoop up, see what we could find. And we all got transferred off the midnights uh, voluntarily into units that we wanted. And um, I stayed in that COPE unit for way too long. I tell everyone I stayed too long. I thought I could retire out of that unit because it was so much fun. Um, You got to do enforcement, like similar to neighborhood enforcement. We didn't do any undercover, but we did do parades and um, community meetings. And then when we When we didn't have that once a month, then we were just doing whatever else we wanted to do. So it was like it was it was awesome. And it was um, it was Sunday, Monday off regular schedule. So it was pretty sweet. What what hours were you working?
0: Well, that was that was one of the perks. And here's how I how I describe it, that um, we worked um, like Tuesday through Friday or Monday through Thursday, um, six to four. Which was great because my theory is that if guys are doing stuff during the day, they don't care who's watching. You know, clearly you get more violent stuff at night, but, um, you know, you got the bank robberies and the burglaries and all that kind of stuff during the day. Um, was this 1800 to 0400? This was like, yeah, 06 to 16. So it was, 06. oh, yeah. So. And, you know, day shift weekends off is where everybody wanted to be because, I mean, it's like you have a regular family life and yeah, young kids at the time, you know, of course. And, uh the bad thing probably you experienced this as well was that because we had all these extra skills and nobody else knew who to call because you're not going to call SWAT guys for this you're not going to call vice for that hey call the net guys so we got freaking you know passed around through all the federal agencies and all the patrol guys and everybody wanted us to make the stops for them you know the yeah. wall like dude so i mean even though we did have a lot of free time to you know just be out there chasing bad guys we were also tasked with same thing the TRU the uh, tactical response unit doing all the the uh all the riots and all that kind of stuff I'm like oh, God, that part I hated but now yeah, whatever came with it so
1: so uh what year did you write the book in
0: uh started in 2017 after my last major critical incident um took me realistically about three years um you can probably see in the background I got my picture of my girlfriend um met her during the process and she did all the editing for me and that's what okay. took me so,
1: that's cool. And, um, so you, how long did it take you to write it? Like you said, like um, three years.
0: It, it was realistically about a year for me to actually write it. And then between meeting her, moving up to San Diego, falling in love and all that stuff between, you know, relocating and the editing and, you know, all the exploration of the beach and all that kind of stuff. It took, uh, it took about two more years total time, which probably could have been done in about a year, but you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm working on my second book,
1: The Hero Coaching Blueprint, and that'll be out in the first quarter, January or February, the latest. Um, I didn't expect it to take a year, but between the editing and me sending things back and just promoting it slowly, it's been it's taking a long time.
0: But I mean, put your heart and soul into it, and that's that's where it comes out on the on the back end better, you know. I think so.
1: And now you've been uh, doing a little bit of speaking, touring around.
0: Yeah. You know, and I, um, I remember back in the day, we had a guy from another agency come in and telling his story and my thought process back then was that's a bunch of crap. That doesn't happen, man. You know, cops are going to go chase bad guys. And, you know, and then it dawned on me after all the stuff I went through, which I'm sure we'll cover, um, that there's other kids, I call them kids out there that need to hear that story as well, because, you know, if you get in there with this attitude of nothing can touch me, you know, you're going to be sadly mistaken. And, because I thought I was such a such a badass, you know, and I got knocked over like several different ways. Um, it dawned on me that yeah, you can be a, a kick-ass cop and out there chasing bad guys and doing all the all the fun stuff, but it's it's gonna come with a toll and over time it's gonna take its take its, you know price on your head. I and mean, that's what happened to me. So I decided that speaking to different agencies, you know, like Signal Mental Health and Radio and all these other places, just to remind folks of all the stuff that we got to deal with, you know, so.
1: Well, I, I always write down things when, um, I never heard of it. Would you say Signal Mental Health? Uh, Cigna. Oh, Signa.
0: That's what a C, right? Signa. That's, um, out on the west side of the country, that's basically our, our main, well, back in the day, that was our main, um, like medical authority for mental health. It's exploded now. They probably got a hundred of them now, but that was the main one back in the day, so.
1: That's our healthcare right now,
0: Cigna. Okay, yeah. nice. So
1: it sounds like it's probably a branch of, of, of their company.
0: Uh, you know, and they, again, they just brought me in as a, um, as a speaker just to their mental health folks so they can um, take it to the next level, I guess, if you will, for their people. Just, I mean, it wasn't really like a clinical thing. It was more just, Hey, these are what cops see and do. So when they come to us, you know, as a group, we kind of have a better feeling of what they're what they're experiencing, you know. So, how many talks do you think you've done? Oh, geez, man, I've I've literally lost count. It's got to be between I think twelve states now, um, well into the hundreds, probably something like that. So, and do you, are you looking for them, or are they mostly getting referred to you? Uh, mostly, it's me, you know, putting my name out there, um, which is fantastic because I've gotten some really unbelievable opportunities to to travel meet a whole just a ton of different people um i've been all the way to the east coast uh all the way to the pacific northwest um haven't ventured down to the southeast yet but i'm I'm working on it so pretty much everywhere in the middle um i
1: saw in your bio that you were born in the northeast yeah new hampshire new hampshire okay
0: it's cold up there and it's big big difference from san diego big big difference i mean the big joke is you don't have to shovel sunshine you know and uh I was only there. Well, technically, I was there for about um, about 13 years total time between um, the first time being there and then the second time being back up there with my my stepdad. Um, and now I absolutely love it. But back when I was a kid, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to deal with you know the salt on the, on the road and all this other crazy stuff. And I ride a motorcycle, and you can only ride you know like two days out of the year out there. You know, <laughs> so here. How, I can... how long did you live in Arizona? I was there, I got, uh, well, I followed a girl there in 91, and left there in 2019, so whatever that is. Long time, yeah, long time. And I wasn't a, I wasn't a big fan, mostly, there's a lot of really good places to live there, and um, it's an easy place to live, it really is, but the heat is, it was just too much for me, you know, so.
1: So, in San Diego, it's like 82 every day, right? Like 85?
0: 66, so. 66
1: right
0: now it's it's probably about 60 right now it's actually kind of cold for us okay back in the day when 40 degrees met t-shirt weather to go up and ride my bike you know now if it's under 70 i'm freezing so (laughs) you're keeping yourself in good shape i am yeah in fact um basically because a lot of what i'm doing now is i'm I'm getting back into uh back into the field on some level um and in the process of doing that, um trying to get, I mean, here's the problem with when you retire. And this is what I tell folks, a couple different, different versions. Um, When you retire and then you move to San Diego where you got all the best food in the world, you know, you start putting on the weight and then you get, you know, you start turning in your fifties, like, which I can't believe. um, All these things start to happen. Um, But one thing I I discovered about retirement was that, and you may have experienced this as well. When I left, um, I got really, really sick. It was, uh, 2018 and it was very much like the COVID symptoms and I was down for about three weeks and what I realized was it was, you know, 40 hours of adrenaline dumps every day, you know, the, you know, the 40 hour blue family that I no longer had, um, all these kinds of things, the scheduling, you know, and now all of a sudden I've got literally nothing to do and my body was like, Hey, what's, what's going on here, man? You know, we, we miss all this great stuff, you know, and now, now it's not there anymore. Um. And so I tell people all the time, it's like, hey, don't do not do what I did and just jump straight off the diving board into nothing. Have something to keep, keep yourself occupied for a while to your body just to it. You know what I'm saying? So-
1: That's my biggest message to people. It's like start planning for retirement five, ten years before you actually do it and have a plan of what the exact thing is that you're going to do the day you step out. And so yeah. you could start building towards that now. It doesn't matter where you are in your career.
0: Well, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but um, I'll just say that when I went for the after insurance policy stuff, don't do that. Just take my word for it. Don't do it. It was an absolute, complete, total waste of money. Um, And the coverage was junk. Uh, My ex at the time, we were still married. um, She went to go get a prescription. It wasn't even covered for like a basic prescription. (laughs) I'm coming out of pocket $1,600 a month to freaking pay for insurance. It doesn't cover a thing. So so. we, we have pretty good insurance over here. Um,
1: I'm in, I'm in New York, so it's decent for a long time. Our dental wasn't the greatest, but they just switched plans and got with a better company. So uh, it's, it's actually our union's pretty, pretty good. I
0: have to say. Yeah. I mean, and it sounds bad, and I know you've heard this a hundred times. That you know the old guys, oh, when you leave, you're you're just a number. They're gonna forget all about you. You know, oh no way, hey, man, I'm, I'm Chris Hoyer. Look at me, you know. Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. You know, so uh, sure enough. I mean, I've got a lot of my close friends that I still make contact with regularly, but as far as the department goes, I was out the door, and they're they're done. They're like, yep, you're out. Be, be gone. You know, <laughs> wait, wait a second, man. I did get dedicated twenty years of my life to you guys, and now I get nothing. So.
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy how fast you get replaced when you step out.
0: Yeah, now don't get me wrong. I mean, I got a good retirement, and of course, you know, you already heard the word "the ex." So naturally, she got half. That's another conversation that I I like to bring up. That's like my former boss said. Hey, you know what? Yeah, you got to pay her all this money, but is it worth your freedom? And I add to that my my own personal thing where I say, you know, no matter how you look at it, twenty years of not knowing if I'm ever coming home. I think it's worth half my pension for her, you know, um, that's just, that's just my theory. I don't, I don't hate her. I don't want to be around her, but you know, <laughs> so I went through a
1: similar situation and my view on it is I can always make more money. That's, oh, yeah. that's my view. You know, like I have so many other skills that I can apply to the, to the marketplace, you know, speaking, coaching, and uh, just being creative and helping people with, creative solutions and just being a resource for people. So I I know that um, anyone listening out there that's gone through that situation, just know that you just need a few, you need to pick up a few extra skills and you can always make more money. Uh, I had a old boss of mine that committed suicide because he was in a tremendous amount of debt and his wife was leaving him. (laughs) So that's whoever okay. whoever's out there in pain, I know how painful it is. Chris knows how painful it is. Um, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy because it sucks when you're going through it. But once you get through it, it's like
0: the, the skies open up, right? Well, and that's the hard part when you are in it. Because after like I said, my last critical incident, I was so sucked into it. I couldn't I couldn't get myself free, you know, and I had a lot of people telling me, well. Need to do this and do this and do this, and I was still kind of in that mentality of I can handle it, you know, kind of my chest, you know, and all this, and not taking the the proper advice, or at least not following up on it, and that cost me cost me two years of my life, you know. Um, going back to what you said earlier, though, one of the things that I did do that was really smart early on was um, planning for my retirement, even though it wasn't my my intention at the time was going getting all my instructorships out of the way, so later on when I did retire, I can go teach. You know, the theory of course, who, those who can't teach, right? So, right, <laughs> right, that's what I do now. I do a lot of instructing, which is just the greatest thing in the world. It's like, wait a second, I still get to be in the community, but I'm not getting shot at, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so.
1: Where do you teach? Um, all different academies, or um,
0: yeah, I go, I go back to Arizona teach at their academy on occasion. Um, when I moved out here, I got picked up by the Marine Corps police academy, I was teaching with those guys for a while. Um, I teach like private uh, concealed weapons classes. Um, tomorrow I've got a really close friend of mine, um, Brandon Griffith, who runs a company called Griffith blue heart, which is, a at least a three hour conversation, but a lot of the stuff that they do is high speed resuscitation, stop the bleed, all these kinds of things. And he's literally changing the face of law enforcement. Um, as far as AEDs and these kinds of things, they've actually created a pocket-sized AED that you can put in your cargo pants. I know Brandon, he
1: actually was uh, one of my, he was so supportive and one of my best interviews. I talked to him just uh, two weeks ago and I'm actually reaching out to him. He's the one that referred you to me. He's He's the one that told me to connect with you. Uh, Cause every time I always say, who's got a great story. And he's like, you were the, I think you were top three names on his list he's like you got to talk to my buddy chris Hoyer.
0: that's awesome nice yeah he's such a good dude man and he really is wish i could do what he's doing full-time out here uh, because he's he's making such a huge impact on our community it's just awesome so in fact he's coming all the way out here to teach his class to a bunch of local agencies down in san diego so and i can't i'm i'm actually taking off work to go be with him instead of going back to work oh
1: that's awesome that's really cool what's your uh,
0: next project
1: that you got coming up
0: Uh, next one. Well, I know it sounds scary and I I can't believe it, even though I'm a grandfather and I'll be, I'll be turning 55 in 2024. My goal, I, I I realized that I quit setting goals after I got hired on the department because I made it to the squad I wanted to go to. And I was just having so much fun. I didn't really feel like I needed to set any goals. So after retirement, of course, moving out here was one, but now my goal is uh, I've got this thing where I call it 24, 24. I'll turn 55 on August 24th in 2024. So by my birthday this year, I want to be living in Coronado with my girlfriend and back on another another agency, I guess I can say it. So, you know, uh, back on another agency. Oh, man. My fingers crossed for you. <laughs> well, any- you I mean, it's it sounds crazy, and people think I'm absolutely nuts. Because it's like, dude, you got out 20 years without your fingers and toes. Why would you go back? But my theory is that man, I've got such a tremendous amount of experience, even though I, I still can't believe it. That, you know, I saved the world externally for 20 years. Now I feel like I can add that to it additionally. Um save the world internally for the next 15 or 20 years as well, and, and help the, the younger generation coming through, you know. So at 55.
1: Is there no maximum age to retire?
0: Well, you so, can do the work. Man. I don't care. So. Will you study to make a uh, supervisor? Study to make boss? I thought about that? I'm not sure. Uh, everybody says I'd make a great leader, but I'm a horrible supervisor <laughs> <You know? laughs> when it comes to, like the overtime slips and the you know right now the use of force policy stuff. All, I mean no way. But as far as um, like people gravitating toward me and being able to to run a scene, all that, I'm great at all that kind of stuff. So I could be a great field supervisor but I don't know about the being a sergeant or a lieutenant but <laughs> okay all right well a lot of people that I've talked to a lot of chiefs have said that Sergeant was
1: their favorite favorite role favorite position in leadership uh because you're still in the streets but you're not necessarily the first on the scene handling the call but you're still out there with the men um I could see you as I could see you as a field sergeant <laughs> thanks man thanks. How
0: long you're... do you, I'm sorry. Do you know how long you have to wait to uh, take the test to promote? Um, no, I haven't. I'm still in the background process as we speak. So um, yeah. it'll be, I'm I'm assuming hopefully less than four or five months that I should have something solid. And then I'll know for sure. Um, after that, I think if I do maybe four or five or six years, I can start looking at promoting if I decide to do that. Um, you to be told what I really want to do is, um, run the firearms program if I can, cause that's my, that's my kind of my forte, you know, I just have such a good time doing it. And it's such an important part of what we do. Unfortunately, people just think that, you know, it's going to go out there and start shooting things up. It's like, well, no, that's, that's not the case. You know, um, it's, it's far deeper than that. Cause I'm, I'm living proof that any monkey can pull the trigger, you know? Um, but what do you, how do you prepare for that beforehand? And then now that you've experienced, God forbid, you've had to take a life or something like that, or you can take a shot and miss, you know, that's going to weigh on your psyche and it it will. How do you deal with that? That's where I come in and be, I'm like a subject matter expert on that kind of stuff. So.
1: Nice. Did you um, train any jujitsu or any kind of
0: martial arts? I tried for a while. Um, You've probably heard of Rigo Durazo, um, one of Brandon's as well. And I trained with Rigo back in like 2010. And I realized that as as much of a street monster as i was i never lost a fight i don't have the coordination to you know like does my arm go underneath or over top and so i was i was one of those guys where i just i come in just with full force and just just muscle you down to the ground i'm not a big guy um and don't get me wrong i mean there's been plenty of times when guys probably should have whipped my ass and i just either talk my way out of it or you know, got enough other folks here to help me out, so. I'm not a big guy either, and uh, 90% of
1: the time, I talked them into cuffs. I, I would say even higher, 95% of the time, I was able to talk my way out of whatever situation it was in, and a lot of times, I was out there by myself, and uh, I just, you know, I was just like,
0: hey, man, don't make me call the cavalry, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I was, I was a genius with that. That was one thing I could do very well, was talk people into cuffs all day long, you know, thank God, because... There's some pretty bad dudes out there no no doubt man so Yeah
1: and the uh, taser was my favorite favorite thing on my belt yes. I didn't have to use it a
0: lot but I did whip it out a lot <laughs> But I've had uh several deployments but I've only had it actually work really good maybe 3 or 4 times you know
1: I would say I had it work really well 2 out of 3 times that I used it um one time the guy the prong just accidentally went in the guy's like top of his head and he just kind of like plucked it out. It, it was, you know, the head is so thick. It's hard for the prong that's, to stick.
0: That's awesome. Oh man. Well, I was, uh, you know, I shouldn't even say this story, but I was, when we first got the old ones, yeah, it was like the M26 or something. I was sitting there and I was playing clothes one day and I was sitting there and I'm like falling asleep, you know, and had a taser in my hand and I freaking you know, sitting on my leg, and I freaking zap myself, you know, of course, I'm so stupid, I've got to, I'm busting out laughing, and of course, I got to get on the radio and tell everybody what I just did, you know, it's like, it was my first taser. you know, so. Um,
1: If you actually had a uh, Netflix cameraman following you around, uh, what would you make your show about, would you, would it be more
0: documentary style, would it be more like a movie, like a reenactment of a specific scene? I think it might be a combination of both because I'm, I'm huge into the documentaries, um, you know, the the educational part of what we do. But because, I mean, I'm sure you probably saw this. I was a resident ship magnet in three separate precincts. Um, my, you know, Chase Bad Guys thing was, I mean, it's, it sounds really bad, but my first major critical incident, I had a buddy riding with me, a CEO riding with me. So um, he got more than he bargained for on that one, to say the least. And so did I, of course, but. Uh, What happened in that first incident? That one, um, what did we do? It was a uh, a hot call, um, car accident. Basically, this guy, he'd uh, stolen a car. He'd run from officers in a different area of town and was coming through our neighborhood. And, uh, of course, radio gets on there like, yeah, we got this guy running from, from Maryville over that way and whatever else. I'm like, okay, you know, it's not my area, so why do I care? And sure enough, of course, we put two and two together after the fact. The guy plants his car under a semi-trailer. And I swear, I don't know how he got out of that car, but he did. Uh, completely crushed it underneath it. Um, the call I got was, um, car accident, subject, running with a gun. You know, and I'm like, cool, all right, let's go. And we're literally go. not even a mile away, like half a mile away. And Because I hate doing accidents, like I mentioned. I'm like, well, I got a car accident over here. Nobody's there. It's a semi, so obviously the driver's fine. Uh, the truck is, anyway, Um versus i got a subject running through a neighborhood with a gun what's my priority go after the guy with the gun um long story short on that part basically i tracked him into a into a business complex found him sitting inside of a different car with a eight inch straight slotted throwing knife cracking a column in his car and i'm standing in uniform and this is two years on right so i'm standing there you know with my cape on and i'm I got him at gunpoint, and he's looking at me like, yeah, and whatever. I'm going, oh, this is this is a problem. Um, of course, I was so brand new, I didn't know, you know, all the stuff I needed to do, which I did. I knew what to do, but I just I flaked out because I'm like, hey, I got this going on. I got this going on. I don't have to worry about all these other things, like letting radio know where I was. Kind of a big deal, right? Um, which I did when I first got on the second scene, if you will. I parked my car, let her know where I was. And then I ended up going back behind the building, if you will. And that's where I found the guy. Luckily, the aircraft was overhead. They're putting it out for me. And this, the really strange part was I, I wish that I had planned this out. Um, and this is where I start talking about um, mental preparation, um, playing that what if game. What if, what if, what if. And I've been doing that for quite a while already, even with only two years on. And so I got this guy in the car. I can't block him in. I know he's got a. Probably got a gun, according to the radio. I can see he's got a knife in his hand. What do you do? It's like, oh shit! Um, so I started kicking the window of the car just instinctively. And again, I wish I had planned that out, but that's not what it was. Um, but trying to be smart, I didn't want to shoot my toe off, so I used right. my right hand, strong. So I kick him with my left foot. Didn't work, and I go back for cover. Come back up a second time. Get out of the car. Get out of the car. And I know one of my pet peeves is when you hear, drop the knife, drop the knife, drop the knife, drop the knife, drop the knife. Drop the knife. He ain't dropping the knife, bro. I mean, after 27 tries, you got to think of something else. Right. For me, after, after like three at the very most. So I go back, you know, get out of the car. He's not getting out of the car. Kicking the window a second time. Nothing. Now I can hear the car starting to crank. Go back up for that third time. Lean back behind me for the car behind me. Kick the window with my right foot. Um, And when that happens, basically, the glass comes over his body. And he's trying to shield himself from the glass. Reaches down under the bench seat. Pulls up the out of being a little Lorsen 380, I'm like, dude, you might as well just throw that thing at me. <laughs> I mean, whatever. It was loaded. Um, he got the gun to just about eye level, and then I opened fire and fired two rounds and round right through his arm into the heart, and he was pretty much done. So, Oh, my God. <laughs> what just happened here, man? So,
1: Oh, my God. Two years on the job.
0: In fact, well, I didn't mention this, but um, my first year – Again, playing that what if game, I actually had to shoot a 150 pound Rottweiler, which was 10 times worse than shooting a bad guy. Bad guy knows. I mean, they're stupid. You know, it's like, hey, I'm not going to apologize. The, dog, you both, the dog doesn't know. Yeah. You know, and I, I still feel guilty about that. You know, this was in 1999 and uh, he did. He attacked me. Got a still got a scar in my hand from it, you know, all these years later. And it was one of those things where, you know, I, I realized that, you know, it was a different kind of a dynamic, but how quickly things went bad. And if it wasn't me, it was probably going to be that mom running with her with her baby stroller or, um, you know, the animal control person with a snare. What are you going to do with the snare? You're not going to do jack with that thing, you know. So it obviously had to be me. So When I was
1: uh, 15, r- riding my bike through the hood, I got chased by several dogs and I used to be pedaling as hard as I could trying to kick them away. And uh, that was like a recurring nightmare for me for a long time. So when I got on the job, I only had one dog ever on a car stop run out of a yard after me. And I retreated back to my car and ran up onto the hood. And I was I was pointing down on the dog. And then someone opened the door like, don't shoot my dog. And I'm like, you better get your dog. You better yeah. get your dog. Yeah. And they came out and got the dog. Thank God I didn't have to shoot the dog, you know. Yeah.
0: I, you know, I still feel guilty about that, you know, all these years later. Of course, of
1: course. But again, like
0: you said, the dog doesn't know any better, but, you know, um, I had no choice. I mean, it was literally, you know, a fight to the death, you know, it, it was bad. I mean, by the time I got done, I had blood pouring down my hand, all over my gun, down my pant leg, everything else. It was it was crazy. So.
1: And did you ever, um, did you ever go and talk to any professionals about these incidents that you've been involved in?
0: I did yeah, um, Good. in fact, of course, because the city that you know, I worked for, it. um, it's re- it was required then to go see the city shrink, um, one time you get your three days off. And I, I used to it was a bad joke, but if you're gonna get into a shooting, do it on your Monday that way, you just got your weekend just rolled around, you get your three days off, and then your weekend rolls back around again, so you'll technically get nine days off, right? So, um, but then now it's it's changed now to where they want you to go see her or him twice within a 30 day period. Um, and then you've also got 30 days off to kind of recalibrate yourself and so forth. And so That's good. That's good. Did, uh, your agency have a peer support
1: team or anything like that?
0: They did. Yeah. They actually stole it from a, I think it was someplace in Baltimore, maybe. Um, and I, I liked what they did. Um, they, they started the process, but they never really followed up with it that well. And here's, here's why I say it that way. Um, when I got sent home after in 2016, I got sent home for 30 days, and the really bad part was we had uh, six other officer-involved shootings in that six-week period, give or take, something like that, and, of course, everybody has to go see the the psychiatrist, and I couldn't get in. It took me seven weeks to finally go get to see her. During that period, I decided I'm just going to go stay home, and every single other person that was on my scene got sent to other areas like assaults or go be an SRO or something like that, and these guys are going – dude, I'm not an assault detective. I don't want to be up here, you know, sharing my story with no offense, a bunch of strangers that all they want to hear is about what's, what's going on here. And I thought that was kind of a, kind of a bad way to send folks. I mean, a lot of these guys were like, dude, I'm down at headquarters and I'm literally building partitions for the new office that's going on, you know? And it's like, oh, that, that's not okay. In addition to that, they put the city psychiatrist in our main headquarters, which meant that when you showed up there, you had to walk by all these other people knowing where you're going first. The other one where it was off site someplace and you, you, maybe you happen to see another officer that was there during another critical incident, you know, debrief kind of a thing or whatever else. But, um, so those little, little nitpicky things, you know, it's like, does that really matter that much? No, it actually does matter. It does make a difference. And there
1: are some chiefs that would listen to you and take that into consideration. True.
0: Yeah. Go ahead. A lot of them did yeah in fact um one of my huge things that I couldn't stand was um, after our scene, you know we got the Mac vans and mobile activity command vans that come out but it takes them an hour to get out there and in the in that time frame during ours in 2016 they were taking the other guys and putting them in the back of you know patrol cars and I'm like and I've lost my mind went to the fourth floor and I, I threw a fit and I'm like, dude no you can't be doing that you know and you're like, why when mean why I mean I just it's like them- they're getting it's like they're getting arrested. Very much so, yeah. And, of course, it's Phoenix. It's hot, you know. Um, Of course, i wasn't supposed to say that, but whatever. I don't care. Um, It's hot as as blazes out there. You're in the back of a car with no air conditioning. All your friends are showing up. You can't go see them because you've now been assigned a critical incident stress person, which is great. Thank God they do that. But unless you're a commander or higher, nobody can come say hi to you. So you're seeing all your friends. You're back in the back of a patrol car. Where? Who goes there? All the shitheads of our world. You know, you feel very, you know, criminalized and alienated. It's just, it was bad. So I said, yeah, no more of that. So I went to the fourth floor. I'm like, hey, you know. (laughs) Did they listen? They did, actually. They they changed the policy on that and they made it to where, um, like in my case, unfortunately, I had been through this so many times. um, I knew that for me, what I needed to do was go find a place in the grass and just sit down and just relax. Okay. Or when I wrote in, in the book, I said, you know, I don't care what you have in your front seat, take the stuff out and put it in the back seat or the back of the car, whatever it is, put your guy up front. Maybe he wants to listen to the radio. Maybe he wants to freaking, you know, drink him out and do whatever else, you know, putting the guy in the back seat, you might as well put him in handcuffs. I mean, shit, it doesn't yep. work. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a
1: hundred percent true. Um, where you place that person after that incident is so incredibly important because it, it does determine their state of mind and like how they're feeling and whether or not they feel isolated or truly supported. That's a really good point. And I'm glad
0: that you actually went and addressed it. Well, I knew, I knew how I felt and watching my buddies with these helpless looks on their faces I'm going, dude, that's just not acceptable. You know, now, of course at the scene, that wasn't the time. It was several weeks later I went down and I was like, Hey, just by the way. um," And a lot, unfortunately, a lot of the, you know, you get assigned a supervisor, typically they may or may not understand that because they may or may not have ever been through it before, you know, and they're basically just doing what they're told, which is, you know, perfectly fine. But, you know, let's look at the big picture here, you know, so. Is there any footage on of you speaking on YouTube that I could look up? Um, I've got one I did in South Pasadena, um, but it's not it's not my normal thing. Um, I got up there to speak about um, mostly like suicide type stuff. Um, I've been trying to figure out how to record my, my full presentation, which is about three, three and a half hours, give or take. Um, one of these days I'm just going to pull the pin and just make it happen. But, you know, unfortunately some of these are, they're kind of sporadic. So
1: yeah. Um, three and a half hours. I don't know if I could entertain a group of people for that long.
0: That's impressive. (laughs) I'll tell you, I mean, the reason I did it the way I did it, um, I set it up on purpose, because I know with with cops they're only going to hear certain things right you know you start talking about suicide they don't want to hear any part about that but I start talking about the critical incident you know the tactical side of the scene they want to hear that part so I encompass a lot of a lot of information in there which is not everybody's going to hear everything but somebody's going to hear something out of it you know what I mean so um and it's, oh,
1: I'm, it's great. I'm glad that you're still here with us Chris I'm glad that uh You never went down that route and uh, I'm glad you didn't pour yourself into a bottle and just stay there and, you know, ball up into a ball in the fetal position and never come out of it. Some, some people, unfortunately, that's, that's how their story ends up. And, um, you know, I just want to thank you for your years of service, man. And just the work that you continue to do is awesome.
0: I got you, brother. Thanks. Appreciate that.
1: Um, I'm just going to hit you with my last few questions. If people want to find you, how should they look
0: you up? Um, you can Google me. Uh, you're, you're welcome to throw my email out there if you want to. Um, okay. It's just Warrior 46 Gmail. I'm sure you know that. But, um, if you, if anybody decides they want to look at the book, if you type in my full name, um, it'll bring up this, the second edition, which is the one that you want. Cause I have two, um, which is kind of a story because I started doing the audible, right around the same time we got finished i reached out to lieutenant colonel dave grossman who did a forward for me which is still one of the biggest events of my entire life um and so that second edition has his his endorsement and four new chapters that the first edition don't have so
1: that's the uh copy that i have uh second edition and it's in my it's in my amazon cart right now i'm just adding a couple more books to it but that's the uh that's the better edition, the second edition of When That Day Comes, and um, I did get a little sneak preview with uh, Audible.
0: What's your What's your definition of a hero? Oh man, I would say uh, people. I mean, I, I hate to say like us because that's that's never been my my thing. But um, folks that are willing to leave their own families behind to take care of other families, other strangers, you know, so, so they're willing to make some sacrifices. Big, big sacrifices and a lot of stuff that we don't realize that doesn't wasn't part of the brochure. You know, <laughs> like oh, wait a second, you talk about that. You know, so when uh, you were starting to feel really stressed out, how did you save yourself? It was a conscious decision. Um, I was having anxiety attacks, waking up at two o'clock in the morning. Literally, I'm not kidding you. Breathing into a bag and not understanding why. You know, going. I'm I'm pretty squared away. I've been through this before. You know, whatever. You know, it shouldn't be this way. Um, and I had thought that, you know, mistakenly this is what we signed up for. Which I never use that term anymore because that's not what we signed up for. Now, yes, we sat in the background investigator's office saying I'll do whatever it takes, but I don't think we realize what that actually means. Right. It's something major happens. Um, and so for me, I finally made that decision, and you know, it was. There were several times when I'm sitting at a stoplight and I just bust out into tears. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? You know, I'm sitting on the couch and I just start crying out of nowhere. I'm like, what is going on? And I realized that I don't, that's not me. I don't want to be that guy. Um, how do I fix myself? And then that's the first time I actually start reaching out for help outside of the city. So.
1: Good. That's really good. And um, would you ever consider coaching other people? hundred oh, percent. I would
0: absolutely love to do that. Yeah. All right. Good. What's your power, your best ability, your strength? Oh man. probably I asked my girlfriend that, she might know better than I do. Um, I would say probably just, you know, being resilient. I don't, I don't let a whole lot get to me. Um, not to say I don't get stressed out from time to time, but, you know, I've realized that, you know, from a very young age, you know, being raised by a single mom that you know, it's if I don't make it happen, it's not going to happen, you know. Um, And so as much as I depend on Natalie, my girlfriend, to to rescue me on a daily basis, um, there are certain things that I've got to do on my own. And if I don't do them, they're just not going to get done, you know, like going back and starting all the way over again. So <laughs> I was say like pushups, no one else could do them for you. But big shout out to Natalie. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's she's a rock star, like 17 different ways. So if it wasn't for her, she says all kinds of nice things about, you know, you know the book saved my life, and you know she was one encouraging me to go back because she goes, "I didn't know you as a cop, but clearly you've never taken off the uniform." I'm like, I oh, never even never even dawned on me." You know, she's like, "You see things that nobody else in the world would ever see." How long
1: like, were you uh retired from? From when to when? 18 or 21? You said
0: 2018.
1: Yeah, 2018 to so five years out.
0: About yeah, five and a half now because it was July 5th of 2018. So yeah, we're pushing that envelope so man i wish you i wish you the very best on your journey back and you have to do
1: another academy
0: thank god no which is a long story but i did have to do a compressed academy which is 30 days okay that was a uh one of the multiple 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 hoops i have to still jump through so okay all right i did uh back-to-back
1: academies but i was young when i did it i tell everyone i did like almost a full year
0: of back-to-back academies two different agencies (laughs) you know they asked me you know do i have the grit to go back and do it again probably yeah um and i'm not so arrogant to believe that you know i've got some 25 year old rto screaming in my ear about how you know and i'm like okay could i do it yeah would i enjoy it no right (laughs) if if it came down to brass tacks yeah I'd, i'd probably suck it up but yeah,
1: I uh, I enjoyed being in the academy. I don't think I would enjoy it so much now. And I go to the gym every day.
0: Yes. I mean, I'm, I mean well, except for now, because I got sick the last couple of days, but I'm in phenomenal shape, all things considered, um, which for me is actually kind of a big deal because I was never one of those never one of those muscle guys. And I always kind of slip through the cracks on, you know, it's, it sounds bad to say it this way, but um, I was never a minimalist guy, but. You know, if I make the times, that's my, that's my goal for now. You know, I don't need to do like when I was teaching at the uh, Marine Corps Academy, um, you had to do, it was like 25 push ups in a minute or whatever. They had a kid that did like 110. Oh my God. You <laughs> got a little T-Rex arms, of course, but you know, I, I don't need to be that guy, you know, um, it, it just never really wasn't one of my things. So but, I think I could maybe do 50 if I had people
1: watching. <laughs> You know, and typically I do sets of 20 or 25, but I think I could extend that to 50. When I was younger, when I was in my 20s, I, I could do, I never hit that 100 mark, but I could do like
0: 75, 80. Oh, same. Yeah, same Yeah, you know, one set, one go. Got these huge long arms, you know, and it's like, dude, I mean, people don't realize, you know, that's a lot of freaking, a lot of movement to go all the way down, you know, every time, like, you know. I'm making excuses, but whatever. <laughs> if you had a uh, comic book superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, man. So I got I to gotta plug that my girlfriend, uh, for her thing, the nothing but love notes. Um, so she literally has an organization and we, well, she usually is the one that writes the notes, but I'm very, very oftentimes I'll hand them out to guys. And her superpower, according to her, is making grown men cry and my superpower because of her is, you know, kind of furthering that, if you will. So and she says it all the time. She's like, what dude's gonna hand another guy a love note? You know? And so I do it all the time and it's unbelievably rewarding. Um to see these guys and they see their they just get this handwritten note and they're like, What is this? It's like, yeah, just kind of thank you for your service, kind of a thing. And it's it's amazing the kind of reactions that you would see. I mean, we've made so many friends and made such an impact on so many people. And I wish I had been more involved with it earlier on, but this is where we are. So that's a genius idea. Um I wanna
1: see one. Maybe you can send me like a picture of one via text. I wanna
0: yeah, see Yeah, I,
1: I I love that idea. But what's your superpower though?
0: Mine? Um oh, dude, I don't even know if I have one.
1: Just uh No, no, no. If you had an imaginary superpower, like
0: yeah. what would it be? <laughs> um, man, that's that's a tough one. I've never had that asked before. Um,
1: speed, speed, strength—like you could be the Flash, you could be Aquaman, you could
0: be Superman, Batman with all the gadgets and tools. Okay. Um, I think I'd be like resiliency, man. You know, hey, bounce all these things off me, and I'm just gonna keep back, keep coming back, and fighting for more. You know, so yeah. hey, resiliency
1: is the key to not committing suicide Um, this chaplain who has studied this for a long time he came to the peer support group and he talked about resiliency and how uh, he said that's the key to the people who make it and the people who don't make it and i love that you touched on it several times just the ability to bounce back and you bend but you don't break
0: and it's really it's not scientific. I mean, you just got to make that decision that you want to be okay, you know. And that was where I came out the other end of the tunnel after, like I said, you know, two years of darkness, trying to figure out why things are going wrong and why I'm having use of force thing coming out of policy and all this kind of stuff. Because I was just angry all the time and I couldn't figure out why, you know. Well, I mean, when you hear about the scene, you'll, you'll have a much better understanding of that. And I realized that, it's like, dude, this is this is not... Who I'm supposed to be, who I want to be, and I'm not going to lie. The citizens of my of my city they deserve better from me than being, you know, a 60% cop. They deserve 100% of my dedication. So that all uh, that made a huge difference for me as well. So, mm.
1: Chris, thank you so much for coming on. And your story is amazing. I uh, I love giving people the roses while they're still here, and uh, similar to those love notes, you know, I actually I do it face-to-face over the show um, you know I love you brother and I appreciate you for the work that you're doing keep up the good work keep your head up keep your head on a swivel all right all right family I hope you enjoyed this episode everyone I interview I've chosen for you guys because of this story And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at David the number one. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.